This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Praise God, praise God. All right, so <clears throat> here is the title of our message this morning. The Steadfast Bedrock of Believing. And you know the pictures around that title give you an idea as far as what I'm going to talk to you about today. So the Steadfast Bedrock of Believing. Now, you know, one of the things that we go by is believers. We call ourselves believers. And why do we do that? Because we believe. We believe God. We believe in God. We believe God's Word. And we believe what God says. And we believe that God is. And so, <clears throat> if someone doesn't believe, then it's just a tag that they have. They're not really a believer. A believer is someone who truly believes God, believes in God, and believes all that God doesn't say. Amen. And so, if you are a believer, if you regard yourself as a believer, then today I want to remind us all about the steadfast bedrock of believing. Our actual believing. What is our believing based on? What is our believing, believing founded on? What do we place? What is the cornerstone of our believing? And so if I were to ask you that today, what is the cornerstone of your believing? What do you base your believing on? <clears throat> I know that almost everyone will have a different answer. And depending on what circle of Christendom, what area of Christendom you go to, you will hear different answers. Some will say, well, I believe, and they'll give you the, the Apostles' Creed, which is good. Others will tell you, well, I believe in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. That's great too. Others will tell you, well, I believe in my church. Others will say, well, I believe in the doctrine of my church. Others will say, I believe my pastor. I believe, you know, the people that are called to minister into my life. And I don't know, I mean, <laughs> if I were to say, bring down, narrow down your believing to one cornerstone, one foundation, one bedrock that your believing is based on, that your believing flows from, what would that be? Only you have the answer. But today, I want to show you what God says our bedrock or the bedrock of our believing should be. And the reason for that is because this bedrock is steadfast. No matter what storms come your way, no matter what you face in life, your believing will stay solid and strong. It will remain steady. It will remain strengthened. It will remain ready to trust God because it is built. It, is, it stands on the bedrock that is steadfast. Amen. And so that's what I want to show you today. So let's begin by looking at <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 8, and then we're going to jump to verse 16. I want to highlight something uh, to you or for you in those portions right there. 1 John 4 verse 8, watch this. It says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at that. God is love. So someone who doesn't love, 
is evidence that they don't know God. Because if they knew God, then they would love. Because if they know God, who is love, then they would experience love and they would be able to express love. Make sense? That's what that's saying. Let's read that same verse from the Passion Translation. I love the way it puts it and paraphrases it. Watch this. It says, The one who doesn't love has yet to know God. For God is love. Notice that. God doesn't just have love. God isn't just able to love, but He actually is love. Pretty powerful, isn't it? I know that most of us have had many sermons about that, and I've taught on it, so I don't want to overlabor that. But it is clear to us, it says that God is love. That's why I've made the is in a different, slightly different color, so we can see that. Now, let's jump to verse 16 of the same chapter and watch what it says again. <clears throat> and we have known and believed that the, lo the love that God has for us. Notice he says, we have known and believed. In other words, we've experienced and we believe it because we've experienced it. We got to know it about it. That word known in the original is talking about an actual experience. Uh, so, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Notice it's present, ongoing tense. So God has this love for us still. Then it says, once more, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. So evidence that someone has a relationship with God, evidence that someone fellowships with God, and someone who knows God and believes God is someone who also loves because they have experienced the love of God. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Now let's read that same portion again from the Passion Translation. Watch how it puts it. We have come into an intimate experience. There it is. See, there's known. An intimate experience with God's love. And we trust in the love He has for us. There are loves out there that we can't always trust. But we can trust in the love of God. Right? And then it tells us why. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God. And God lives through them. So you can't help yourself but to love because you've experienced the love of God. Now, you know, anyone who has received salvation in Jesus, who understands Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the purpose of the finished work of the cross, they cannot help but to experience the love of God. Who else would go and die for you to redeem you from eternal damnation? Isn't that so? Only someone who loves you. Through Adam, we're all fallen beings. We all are born sinful and into sin. When he fell, we all fell. Because Adam and Eve, when they fell, they could no longer produce perfect beings as they were before the fall. 
So all of us need redemption, right? And so Jesus came as an expression of God's love for us and gave himself for us. He paid the price for our sin and he paid the price for our sinful state and redeemed us from that state. And so because of that, we can trust in God's love because God did that all out of love for you and me. It is pretty powerful. And so it says that, that God is love. Now, the word love in these portions of Scripture is a noun. Okay? So it talks about a person. And as a noun, we can then conclude that the meaning or the meaning of, of love is a person. That love is a person. Are you with me? So in other words, we can say God is love, or we can say love is God. So he doesn't just have love. He's not just able to love. He doesn't just have loving attributes. He's actually the very, very thing of love itself. Love is a person. And that's the point that John is making to us. And many of the other apostles we see all through Scripture, that's the point that they make, that love is a person. Now, you know, you are a human being. At least I hope you think you are. <laughs> you should. But you're a human being. You cannot help but to be a human being, right? There may be some bad attributes because of the fall, the fallen nature, the body that we live in. But ultimately, we cannot help ourselves but to be human. And so in the same way, why is that? Well, because we are human. And so in the same way, to illustrate, God is love. He cannot help himself but to love because that's what he is. He doesn't just have some of it or have it. He actually is love itself. Pretty powerful. And so when we understand that love is a person, that God himself as a person is love first and foremost, it will help us understand love to a greater degree. And so evidence that we know God, as we've seen there, is, is that we love. And we love because we know and believe the love God has for us. Remember to say that? In other words, we have and continue to experience God's love for us. By receiving salvation in Jesus, our heart is transformed. Our spirit is renewed. We are born again. We are removed from that sinful state in our spirit. And now we are perfect and holy and righteous in Jesus. Yes, we still live in this body, but this body doesn't define who we are before God. Our spirit defines who we are before God. And we are as Jesus is in spirit. And so because of that, we experience His love. We know His love. Amen. Amen. So how we know and believe that God loves us is not only by the experience of His love, but also by putting our trust in His love. Remember, there's something else that we saw there. This is that we put our trust in His love because we've known and we believe. We've experienced His love. In other words, our confidence and reliance is and should be in His love or on His love. Amen? We, have, we must never forget that. And so that is how we live in God's love. Remember it said that they live in God's love and they love. 
Well, that's how we live in love, is when we know and we are convinced. I mean, I think about Helena and I as a married uh, couple. It would be hard for us to be with each other if there was no sign, no hope, no certainty somewhere, and sometimes even way deep down, because life happens, that we love each other. Because if we didn't love each other, we wouldn't be with each other. What would we do with each other? And then, of course, you know, the world comes in and says, well, you know, people say, I've fallen out of love. Well, you can't do that. Either you love someone or you don't. And, you know, when people make their vows, and <laughs> we don't do those vows, but it really and truly, it should be to that extent. No matter what happens, you love that person. Because God loves you and me unconditionally. There are times when we displease Him. There are times when we know better but it doesn't change God's love for us. Religion may tell you it does. Legalism may tell you it does. But God's Word and God Himself tells you it doesn't. Amen? Because He loves us. And so that's how we live in God's love. We need to understand that it, love is a person. And because I have that person in me, with me, around me, and that per, I, belong, I am, belong to that person, I am living in love. Love dominates my life. Therefore, God's love for you should be the steadfast rock of your belief. Or your faith. Let's put it that way. Are you with me? Someone should say there a yes or an amen or something. Because it's true. God's love for you should be the steadfast rock of your belief. Are you with me? In other words, everything you believe about God should be on the basis of His love. Your very existence, in essence, should be based on God's love for you. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I hope you're not just hearing, but you're actually listening. Your very existence, in essence, should be based on God's love for you. In other words, God created me for His purpose. God, I exist for God's purpose. And he, His purpose is to love me. He is love. Therefore, He cannot help Himself but to love. So He created you. He created me so He can love us. Others may not love us. Sometimes we may have a hard time loving ourselves. But God loves you. And that never changes. Because He created you to love you. First and foremost... Before anything else, before you fulfill any dreams or visions or whatever things God puts in your heart, whatever things you have a desire for, the first and foremost reason for your existence and your essence is for God to love you. Because He does love you. Amen. Amen. So the very essence of your life should be God's love for you. Everything you are and do should be fueled by God's love for you. Everything you believe should be based on God's love for you. Isn't that so? Absolutely. And you know, one thing we cannot do is we cannot allow our experience with human love to define God's love for us. We've all had bad experiences. We've all had, maybe most of us have had, our hearts broken. Isn't that so? I mean, our parents were not perfect. 
looking back now, I so appreciate what my parents did. But when I was a teenager, when I was a young boy, and even in my early 20s and 30s, when I was still learning about life and I thought I was mature, but realized now that I wasn't really as mature as I thought I was, you know, I would criticize my parents. I would judge them. I would, you know, say, well, you, if only you did that. And why did you do that when I was, you know, this age and that age? Looking back now, I realized that everything they did, they did because they loved me. They just didn't always do it perfectly. They didn't always execute it like I would have liked it. But their really motive at the end of the day was because they loved me. The sacrifices they made was because they loved me. The things that they held back themselves from was because they loved me. Were they perfect? No. Now, if for any reason your upbringing, your parents were not like that, because there are some people that are just evil in this world. But if your experience was not like that, know this, that God loves you. Don't ever equate, don't ever compare, don't ever parallel human love with God's love. Because God loves you perfectly. Humans don't. I mean, I think about the people that, some people that came and went in my life. They really tore me. They really hurt me. But I cannot compare that to God's love. Amen. And that's what I'm saying to you today. We cannot allow a human experience or our experience of human love to determine or define God's love for us. God does not love us the way people love us. It cannot be compared. It's like comparing apples with oranges. They are never going to be the same. An apple is an apple and an orange is an orange. Yes, they're both fruit. Yes, they both can nourish you in different ways, but they'll never be the same. It's the same thing with love, human love and God's love. Yes, it's love at the end of the day and it will you know, help make you feel loved to a degree, but you cannot compare God's love for you to human love because human love is flawed. Human love has faults. Human love has fallen nature in it, whereas God's love does not. He loves you. Amen. Now, why is it important for us to remind ourselves of that and to know that? Well, because how we view God's love for us will determine how we live and how we believe. Isn't that so? I mean, not so long ago, I was driving on the road and I saw this terrible accident. And you know, whenever uh, me and my family see something like that, we, um, we, we pray. We don't know who they are. We don't know what's happened. But immediately we just pray a prayer. And if we led, we pray in the Spirit, we pray in tongues for, the, for those people involved for a while. And I'm sure that you do the same. But we just feel that compassion. We don't know them, but we pray for them because we have the love of God in us. Who else would do that? Isn't that so? I mean, that, the love of God compels us to do things like that. You know, we choose to forgive because we have the love of God. We choose to persist and be patient and endure because we have the love of God. That's all God in us as love expressing Himself through us. That's why it's important for us never to compare God's love to human love. You see, human love will determine the kind of confidence and trust we have in God. It will limit it. Whereas understanding God's love will not. We will have full confidence and trust 
in Him. I know that I'm saying things that are basic, things that we are familiar with, but sometimes we need to hear them. Sometimes we need to be reminded of them. Amen. And today I just sense that someone is listening who needs to be reminded of these things. God loves you. He really does. I'm not saying that just as a cliche. I'm not just saying that because that's what's expected of me as pastor to say. I'm saying that because God says that about you. He loves you. Amen. Now, let's have a look. We're going to look at a portion of scripture here uh, out of Galatians from chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 6. And we're going to read this portion from the Amplified Translation. And so what he's talking about here is about being freed from God's law. Now, you know that in the Old Covenant, people related to God by His law. In the New Covenant, we relate to Him by His grace. That's a simple truth that so many believers don't know. So many believers have not been taught. It's the simplest of truth which creates such great confusion about God's love and so much of doctrine. But you know, under the, under the law, Moses' law as it's called sometimes, God gave them the law to relate to Him by. And so they had to live up to the commandments. And if they didn't, curses came upon them and all kinds of things. It was a legalistic system because it's the law. The law is legalistic. In the new covenant, Jesus fulfilled the law for us, as Helena said during communion. And so we relate to God by grace, by unmerited favor. We cannot earn or deserve the blessing and favor of God, but He gives it to us because He loves us, right? And so this is what Paul is addressing in Galatians, some of what he's addressing. And so he's reminding these believers who used to be under the law. And he's, he's telling those believers who want to go to law or go back to relating to God by law. He's reminding them the failure of doing that, the, the no need to do that, and the consequence of doing that. And so in part of all that, this is what he's talking about here as we pick up from verse 1 of chapter 5. And we're going to read six verses, okay? He's talking about being freed from the law, the law of God. Now he says, It was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery which you once removed. Now, he's talking about the law here. He's not talking about sin. And so, and you'll see, if you read the context, you'll see it clearly. And so he says here that Jesus came to set you completely free from the law because you could never live up to it. And that's why he came to set you free. So now you need to keep standing firm. In other words, there is a foundation. There is a bedrock that you need to stand on and stand firm on that bedrock. Do you agree? That's what he's saying. And so, he's telling them to stand in the freedom of grace. But also, he's telling them not to go back to relating to God by law. But his emphasis is on standing on that solid bedrock. Let's carry on. Verse 2. <clears throat> Notice, it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation, Christ will be of no 
benefit. Not some benefit, no benefit to you. For you will lack, watch this, the faith in Christ that is necessary for salvation. That is so powerful. He makes some powerful statements there. I want to highlight some of those to you there as we watch that. Watch that carefully. Paul the Apostle writing here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says here, now if you receive circumcision, now you know that under the law, they would circumcise any, every baby at eight days old. And circumcision, even though it goes way back to Abraham before the law, it was adopted by the law and made a law that anyone who related to God by law should be circumcised. And that circumcision, in other words, they would cut the foreskin of the man's uh, parts. And so that circumcision would be evidence that they were now a God follower and in covenant with God, that they were Jewish in essence. And so Paul is writing here to these believers who have now received salvation in Jesus. And he says, if you think that doing the things of the law, such as circumcision, is still a requirement for you to be saved in Jesus, he says it is not. And ultimately, if you go back to any part of the law to relate to God, then what Jesus did to redeem you and the finished work of the cross, he says, will be of no benefit to you. And the reason for that is because you will now lack faith in what He's done to redeem you. Because you are going to go back to putting your faith in what you do and what you don't do, such as circumcision. Does that make sense? That's what He's saying. So remember, this is all in context, and He's talking about one specific thing, and He's leading to that thing. And so, it's interesting how He says all of that. He says, putting your trust and confidence in what you do will not benefit you. That's another way we can put that. You see, so many people say they are believers, but they're still trying to find ways to impress God. They're still trying to, to earn and deserve His blessing and favor when they already have it in Jesus. How often do we hear believers say, well, I'm going through a hard time, so I'm going to fast. I'm going to give extra. I'm going to go to church twice a week, and I'm going to do this and do that. Now, it's great that we are committed and that we are willing to do all of that. But if the motive is for us to get a reaction from God, we are trying to earn and deserve what has already been given to us by Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And that's why it puts your faith and trust in you and takes your faith and trust of Jesus, right? That's in essence what he's saying there. So it will nullify what Jesus has done for you, right? And it also reveals what you truly believe. And what is that? That you believe in yourself, that in your merit, in your performance, and not in God's love for you. Isn't that so? I trust that you're getting all this. Let's continue with verse 3. <clears throat> he says, now remember, this is all still in context. Once more, I solemnly affirm to every man, every person, who receives circumcision, okay, in this case it's the dudes, who receives circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation that he is under obligation and required to keep the whole law. 
So what he's saying in essence is, is that if you want to incorporate some of the law into your Christian faith, into your relating to God by grace, then what you are doing is you are bringing in enough, even if it's just one thing, you are bringing in enough to nullify relating to God by grace and you are now putting yourself under obligation once more to the law and therefore you need to live up to the whole law. Can you see that? It's not my opinion. <laughs> it's what the, uh, what the gospel says, right? It's powerful stuff. I mean, to this day, sometimes we find believers who are trying to find ways to do things and not to do things and avoid things. A kind of a legalistic way of relating to God. And God says, it's not going to happen that way. If it could, I would have left the law in place and I would not have sent Jesus. Isn't that so? It's because we cannot. I mean, it says in James that if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking the whole lot. And it says there is none righteous. No, not one. None of us can live up to it. That's why it was there to show us that we need redemption in Jesus. So if you want to relate to God by law, then you must go all the way. Isn't that what he's saying? You see, the law is an all or nothing system. Just like grace is an all or nothing system. Either you relate to God completely by law, or you relate to God completely by grace. Amen? And law, as perfect as it is, it prevents you from receiving and experiencing God's love. Because now, God's love becomes conditional to you. He doesn't make His love conditional. But it becomes conditional to you because now you brought in your merits and your performance in your defining of God's love. Did you hear what I said? That's what we do. So in other words, if I choose to relate to God and say, well, I think God is going to bless me this week because I'm committing to read my Bible every day, every morning. I'm going to pray in tongues for an hour every day and I'm going to do my best to live by the golden rule and be nice to people. And as a result, God is going to bless me and manifest His power through me. It sounds noble. It sounds pious. But that's living by rules. That's law keeping. And as we've read so far, Paul said, it makes Christ of no effect to you, what Jesus did. And also it takes you out of grace and your definition of God's love for you is redefined by your performance. In other words, you are going to subconsciously believe that God only loves you when you perform right and you do right and you fulfill right. And when you don't, you won't feel His love because that's the way the law is designed to operate. Right? And that's not what he wants here. He's trying to tell us not to do that. Isn't that so? Let's carry on. Verse 4, all in the same context. It says, you have been severed from Christ. Watch this. What does severed mean? It means cut off. He's using the terms of circumcision because that's what he started with. He says, you have been severed from Christ. If you seek to be justified, that is, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty, and placed in right standing with God, what does it say next? Through 
the law. In other words, through your merit and your performance. You have fallen from grace. So apparently living by grace is higher than law. Because you can't fall upwards or you can't fall horizontal. You can only fall downwards. So you fall downwards if you relate to God by law because you were on a higher plane of grace. Do you see that? You, have, you see, some people think you, you know, but they fall from grace because they sin. No, you fall from grace because you choose to go back to law and relate to God by your merits and your performance. You have fallen from grace for you have lost your grasp on God's unmerited favor and blessing. In other words, His grace. They fall from grace because to, they choose to relate to God by law instead of grace. And grace is where the fullness of God's love is revealed and experienced. Absolutely. Grace is where the fullness of God's love is revealed and experienced. Amen. Amen. You see, unmerited blessing and favor are expressions of God's unconditional love. Isn't that so? <laughs> Those are profound statements. By the grace of God, praise God. But they really, really are. If you think about some of the statements I've just made, they are profound because they are based on, God, on, on gospel truth. Amen. And that's what God wants for us. Let's carry on reading verse 5. It says, it's all in the same context. Don't forget that. For we, not relying on the law, but through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, watch this, by faith, are waiting confidently for the hope of righteousness, the completion of our salvation. Let me explain some of that for a moment. He's talking about believers who have truly embraced grace, who truly have embraced the new covenant and have let go of the old covenant, have let go of law. Now that doesn't mean that we ignore the law, that we hate the law. No, we embrace the law for the reasons God gave the law. Go listen to my message from last week in case you have doubts about that and the one before that. But what he's saying, yes, is that we who don't rely on the law anymore to enjoy God's blessing and favor, he says, but rather we rely on the Holy Spirit to do His work in us by believing, not by our performance or merit, by believing, by faith. He says, we are waiting patiently because ultimately we're going to shed this physical body and our, our salvation will be complete because we will now be totally as he is without this fallen body that's what he's saying so the point that he's making is, is that we need to live by faith not by law right you see it is when our eyes are off our merits and performance that we're able to focus on God's love isn't that so and thus we will believe like we need to believe isn't that so I mean there were times <laughs> When some people would come into my life and would say, I love you. And they would try and convince me that they love me. But then they would say things about me behind my back. They would do things that would go against what I believe and what they know better in, in my life. And I would think, you know, they just it's just words. They're just trying to make me feel good saying they love me. But they don't really love me because their actions show it. And I'm sure that you've had some of those experiences. You see, this is what Paul is addressing here. And he's trying to say, don't just be believers who just say that God loves you. 
but really believe that God loves you. Really know that He loves you because He does. But if you let law get in the way, it's going to be hard for you to see just how God loves you. Isn't that what He's saying? And He's saying the reason why you need to know just how He loves you is because that will be the steadfast bedrock of your believing. You see, by putting your eyes on Jesus and the finished work of the cross, we are able to keep our focus on God's love for us. Isn't that so? Let's read now verse 6, the last part of that portion that we're reading. He says, Now he said all that he said, and I've explained all that I've explained for this. For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. And here it comes. But only faith activated and expressed and working. What does it say next? Through love. What love is that? God's love. Isn't that in his greater context? So <laughs> nothing we do or don't do or avoid thinking that we're going to impress God means anything, he says. The only thing that means anything is faith or believing, which is activated and expressed and working through love. What love is that? The love of God. Isn't that so? So your faith is activated when you know God loves you. Your faith is expressed when you know God loves you. And your faith works when you know God loves you. Because it's all the, the fuel behind your faith is the love of God. Isn't that so? <laughs> I mean, imagine you go and spend $500,000, half a million dollars, to buy this super duper fancy car. And you fill up the tank the first time and you drive around all over the place until you run out of gas. And you're out there in, you know, the plains of Texas where there is nothing around for miles and you run out of gas. How good is that car to you? As expensive as it is, as much as fancy features that it has, as nice as it looks, is that car any good to you? Absolutely not. It is probably at that point in time, it is equivalent to a tin can thrown out in the freeway that has been standing there for a while on the side of the road. It its value is probably the same because it can do nothing for you. Isn't that so? You see, you need to have fuel in that car for it to come alive and do everything that it can do for you. It's the same thing with faith. It is activated. It is, it is expressed. It works when it's fueled by love. The love of God. In other words, knowing that God loves you. That's when faith stands steadfast on that bedrock. Amen? So real believing happens when we focus not on what we do or what we don't do, but on God's love for us. Believing is activated through love. Believing is expressed through love. Isn't that what we saw? Believing works through love. I know that I'm repeating, but that's because it helps us 
internalize what we're receiving there. Amen. Love is the only steadfast bedrock of belief. Even Jesus in the finished work of the cross is the expression of God's love. So it is God's love first and foremost. Isn't that so? That's why understanding, knowing that God loves you is the steadfast bedrock of your believing, of your faith. Look at that same verse, verse 6, from the Passion Translation. Let's read it. When you're placed into the Anointed One and joined to Him, in other words, when you receive salvation in Jesus, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. See, in other words, merits and performance, doing things. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Talking about the love of God. Right? Isn't that powerful? So ultimately, <laughs> what he's saying there too, is, is that believing works best when it is rooted and grounded in God's love. Isn't that so? That is the steadfast bedrock of faith, of believing. The love of God. God loves me. Not because of what I do or what I don't do. He loves me because He is love. And He loves me because He created me. People may not like things about me. I may have some struggles with the way I am and the way I look. But God loves me. God loves me 100%. 110%. He loves me more than 100%, right? He loves us completely. Praise God. I trust someone is being blessed by this today. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19 from the voice translation. Here's another portion that just so beautifully confirms everything we've said today. He says, Father, out of your honorable and glorious riches, strengthen your people. Fill their souls with the power of your spirit. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful prayer? So that through faith, the anointed one will reside in their hearts. See that? Through faith. Not through the merits of performance, but through believing. Then he says, watch this. May love, talking about God's love. May love be the rich soil where their lives take root. May it be the bedrock where their lives are founded so that together with all of your people, they will have the power to understand that love, that the love, I'm sorry, of the anointed is infinitely long wide, high, and deep, surpassing everything anyone previously experienced. God, may your fullness, now you know he's talking about his love, flood through their entire beings. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> so in essence, his prayer here is, is that those believers that he's praying for, and that includes us, that we will get to a point where we learn to live by faith, by believing, but based on the basis of God's love for us. And he says, let that be where they take root, where their faith takes root. Let it be where the bedrock that they stand on when they believe. And he says, let your love just flood them completely, because that's how they'll walk mightily in faith. 
Isn't that so? I know that for me personally, <laughs> every day, just God's love, I, I, I want it to be more and more real to me. When I face situations, I think, you know, God loves me. And I know somehow He's worked all things out for my good. People may be mean to me, but I know that God loves me. There will be vindication here because He loves me. Not that I want anything bad on them, but God loves me. So He'll fight for me. Amen. He'll provide for me. He'll make a way for me. Isn't that so? Because He loves me. Isn't that what someone who loves you does? They go to the extreme of sacrificing themselves because they love you. And God did that. Why else would He withhold anything else from you? Amen. You see, in other words, what we see there too is, is that what He's saying, may your love flood through their entire being. Because He says your fullness. Amen. In other words, the more we realize just how God loves us, the more confidence and trust we will have in Him. Isn't that so? When God's love is the bedrock of your faith, faith is steadfast and strong. When we are flooded and filled with God's love, we will be able to be flooded and filled with everything else God provides for us in Jesus. Isn't that so? Verse 20 of that portion we've just read, which is the very next verse, actually tells us that. Watch us and we'll end with this, okay? Now to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Look how it ends. Through the power at work in us. And what power is that? The power of His love. Because that's what He was speaking about in context. Isn't that so? See, so when we are settled in the love of God, and when we stand stand on the bedrock of His love, it is steadfast. We will stand strong. Amen? So when you embrace God's personal love for you, it revolutionizes us, revolutionizes and transforms your personal faith in Him. Isn't that so? Praise God, praise God. Steadfast and unshakable faith is motivated by God's love. Isn't that what we've seen today? By nothing else but God's love. Faith, let me say this and think about it. <laughs> well, let me give you the illustration so that it, 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 you can picture what I'm about to say. You know, I'm sure that many times you've gone to get a checkup by a doctor. And sometimes when they do just a basic physical, they get you to sit up on something so your feet are hanging. They're not on any surface. And then they take this little hammer-looking device and they hit on your knees, right? Why do they do that? Because they want to see your reflexes. Because most of us should be able to, our leg just kicks on its own, because that's a reflex, right? So you understand what I mean by reflexes, correct? Well, listen to this carefully. Faith is a natural reflex to God's love. Isn't that what we've seen here today? That's exactly, I mean, if you want to sum this whole message up in one phrase, that is it right there. Faith is a natural reflex to God's love. When we understand that we are loved by God, that God loves us no matter what, and His love is unchanging and unconditional, we cannot help ourselves to believe, 
to have faith, trust, and confidence in Him. Amen. God's love for us is the only steadfast bedrock of believing. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.